Well, hi, everybody. Um, so we'll be kind of looking at this and maybe answering questions, but mostly I think this is going to be a conversation. So um, we're here at the... Uh, so when did you change it to Chicago Metro? Because it used to be Cabaret Metro and Smart Bar. Uh, well, actually, it, it, it was always Metro. Oh, okay. The building has always been Metro. Yeah. And then in the building, there was the Cabaret Metro mm -hmm. and then the Smart Bar. Okay. And, and, and still the, now? And now we've gone back just to Metro. Okay. And because the cabaret room is really just, it was brought on because we had a theater group that did a play here. Uh -huh. And uh, they wanted some kind of distinction between what the Metro was and what their, their theater was. Um, but Smart Bar was first. Smart Bar was first yeah. in July of 82. So, so, so Joe's the owner and an old friend. I, I dropped out of college to come work and hang out here. Um, Aldona was here at the time, and, and, and Jeff was also just a DJ. But maybe you can introduce yourselves, and then we can talk a little bit about the play. Sure. Um, I'm Joe Shanahan, and uh, I've uh, been involved in this uh, social experiment for 35 <laughs> years. Uh, and successfully, uh, I think my, my, my great times are uh, with some of these people at this table because I remember you know, the, the, the era when we first opened and it, it took uh, a lot of people and a lot of hard work to, to do what we did, whether it was a DJ on Sunday night or a, a Thursday night bartender and I'd be the DJ <laughs> in, on those Thursday nights. And, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, Joe Shanahan, Metro owner, Smart Bar owner. 35 years. 35 years. I remember when you did the 33 and the third part. It was a very big one because, you know, I still collect vinyl, and I think that when I talked to the Wax Drax folks, it was like a really important thing that we commemorated 33 and a third. And I was here in 89. Yeah. That helps. That's, yeah. But the Metro was already kind of old. It was a teenager by then, right? Yeah. Uh, Not yeah. Yet, 89, almost. 89. Well, 80s was seven. It was seven years old by then. Okay. Yeah. Right. But that was, you know, 89 was a big year because that's when, you know, it's like the, the, the surge of the Smashing Pumpkins mm -hmm. and the surge of, of, of Material Issue and Liz Fair, as well as industrial music mm -hmm. and house music becoming an international sort of like language where the music for this city was, 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 was bigger than anything, um, which was an incredible time to be working in a venue like this because we, got, we were on the map at that point. Yeah, I think it was, it's pretty interesting because it all comes together. You know, and the diversity of the sounds that came through and channeled through Chicago is, is very much similar to this is the transportation hub where you come through on the trains and, and then head out. We were influenced by others. We had a lot of things coming together and hitting right at that point in time. Yeah. But yeah, it was, yeah, I remember because we had like Coco Taylor was here, the Chicago House things were here, we had wax tracks. Mm -hmm. We had uh, tracks. We had a bunch of stuff was just kind of... So, and that was the other thing that I remember when we were here. And I don't know if it's still, it probably still is like this, but like you'd have one DJ play the whole night, right? We would start at like yeah. seven and then we would go until five. And I remember the, the, the DJ booth at the Smart Bar had thousands of records yeah. meticulously organized by Marky. Yeah. <laughs> and you would play everything from Madonna to, you know, Leibach, right? And, and, yeah. and the people would come almost every night. Yeah. And so you couldn't just kind of play the one thing. And so like these DJ sets that people play where you just go and you play like one kind of music and, and the same thing. It, it was a completely different thing being a DJ because you're like, 
because everybody's kind of reg was for regulars, so you had right. to give them a whole different kind of diversity than I think a lot of DJs do, right? One of the fondest memories I have of Mark Stevens, uh, he was a, one of the founding DJs here at, uh, at Smart Bar, is that he was one of the first to actually beat match where he was so good at what he did, and he did like the first sort of mashup, he would be able to take like a Beastie Boys record, but he'd find the root of like a song, yep. and it would be a Led Zeppelin track, and he would play the Zeppelin track, then the Beastie Boys track, and then sometimes play between them all. And, the, and, and I remember how creative that was, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And then of course, Run DMC, made one of the greatest records of all time with, with Walk This Way. I mean, and it was like, Mark was kind of doing that on a regular mm -hmm. basis mm -hmm. on a Friday or Saturday night playing and with... Who and who knew? Led in the smart bar. But it totally worked. It totally worked. Yeah. It was pretty easy as a DJ to, to kind of let the night just come together based on who was there. And I'm sure you experienced this on Thursdays, but Sundays was completely free form. Yeah. And we could start out with an hour of, of hardcore rock, mm -hmm. you know? Or, for example, Axel Rose was here one time hanging out. They were performing, practicing upstairs. Correct, yeah. He was downstairs. I played hardcore rap for the entire time just to see if I could get him to come in to say, can you knock it off? And, and, and it I'm sure he fine. loved it. But, but there were a group of people around the bar who were there wanting to hear things that came out of Seattle. You know? yeah. And then as the dance floor started to evolve, that's where you took people on the journey, per se, throughout the night. Okay, I'll do it. We used to do things for fun while this was going on, like jump up on the bar and dance. Yeah. Just to get, if people weren't looking, if they weren't dancing, it's like we'd jump up on the bar and start dancing. And I remember getting orders from the bar to like get people to dance more yes. so they sweat or slow it down so they'll, <laughs> they'll start drinking again. And I, yeah, yeah. I felt like, the, and this is kind of yeah. my theme even at the V-Lab. It's like if you control the music, you kind of control the flow. You can get people in, you can get people out, you can get them dancing, you can get them drinking. And it seems like that coordinated coordination with like the bar team and the DJ because there was a, there was a phone wasn't there from the, mm -hmm. the, the bar there was the a phone and they would they would call you and say hey get get these guys on the dance floor well you know I I think that part of like uh my uh you know sort of the blueprint of what smart bar is was as a club called La Mer Viper and La Mer Viper was run by a guy by the name of Noah Boudreau and I followed Noah from, you know, from La Mer to Lucky Number to Neo. These are all clubs that we would all hang out with before I opened up Smart Bar. And the other one was, was The Warehouse with Frankie Knuckles. So there was this idea of like, sort of like dance music was, was house music. And it was disco and it was rock. And in some of the other clubs, they would not blend or, or blur the genres. Mm. And our community, and I have to say it was really important because I think not only the DJs, listening to the patrons or even the bartenders for that matter we wanted a fun place so so in a way you know we play almost a novelty record uh, something totally silly you know um you know and then followed up with a skull record then followed up with like you know mm -hmm. smells like teen spirit by nirvana so the soundtrack here mm -hmm. was a bit more than eclectic it was it was almost maybe a little schizophrenic because it wouldn't follow like okay we're a new wave bar all we're going to play is devo and Blondie sure. and Duran Duran. But that gets boring. Yeah. Especially well, if you're there every day. <laughs> right, well, we, 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 believe it. Joe, you're right. We were only entertaining ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we kidding? We were just doing it for ourselves. You know, but 
the thing is, I was able to start on Sunday and then evolve. You know, Mark passed away, sadly. I picked up some of his nights. I wound up having three nights a week here. And you had different groups of people that were coming on distinct Definitely. nights. You know, they were here for a certain things. So you were trying to cater to them, but you were also trying to make sure that you stated your own needs. You know what I mean? And when you have a DJ booth, the likes of which you really won't see again. No. You know, with the, with the diverse amount of music that was in there. Mark was a Billboard DJ. I was a Billboard DJ. We were putting our own stuff in here all the time. There was new stuff. There was classic stuff. When I think we had a house collection. We actually had... I had you a had collection. A collection. You had a right. Euro cor- and collection. And it, it was lived, insane. It lived in the booth. Yes. And then you guys would You'd bring come in... You'd in with your milk crates. Yes. Yes. You'd come yeah. in with two or three milk crates and maybe... In, Mark's case six, um, and then and then they would sometimes stay and live in the club, or exactly. and nor rotate in and out. And I think you know, I think the idea here is that the music was the message. I mean, clearly it defined the party, it defined the community of those people. That you know, whether you were coming to drink and you know pick up a you know, get laid or something like that, that's different. You were there and you really got into the music itself. And, and that, that's also, there's an interesting psychology thing where you're more likely to like a song that you've heard before than a song that you don't know in the genre that you like. And what I found that was interesting about people who came to Smart Brush, especially when you had an important DJ like Mark, is people would try to like the songs that Mark was playing because they knew they were going to be hits later. They had banked on him and when he broke the Fine Young Cannibals and got written up in Billboard. And so it's interesting because he would, like, it was like a taste-making place. And so he would play Madonna mm-hmm. and people who were like, uh, with Madonna would still try really hard to like everything. And that was that diversity because they knew that when you guys started charting it, these songs would be, and I was into them before you were kind of thing. And I think that that's a, that was, that, and it gave people kind of an openness to do that. It didn't matter if it, if it was Madonna. Typically, Mark was playing the latest Madonna release. You know what I mean? But he was constantly, he was a tastemaker. He was setting things up, whether it was Madonna or Ofrahaza. You know, mm-hmm. there was always something there where people were coming here and hearing something completely unique eclectic, schizophrenic to a certain point. Yeah. They were hearing things that really got them to come back and, and this was unlike other places in the city. You know, in a way, I, I'm, I'm not going to say uh, we're patting ourselves in the back here, but um, in a way, I think before it might have been like black and white in when, when Mark and when Jesse, De La Pena, when sure. you, I mean, when DJs that actually had technique and knew how to really program and sync and beat match, when it became this sort of seamless soundtrack almost, it became Technicolor because yeah. you could hear Liebach, you could hear Croftwork, you could hear the Beastie Boys, you could hear Rugby MC all within an hour. And so it was taking you in a different, a different, a different path, a different, a different. And throw in some Madonna. In the yeah. middle of and it, then you had the crazy staff, right? I, mean, I remember <laughs> Michael Hecker. I was when I was at, at the bar, and these two um, transvestites came up, all really dressed up, and um, and he told. Well, actually, he, and, and 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 they were like, um, they're getting in a fight, and one says, "Clue and milk." <laughs> you know, it was like this high drama thing that the bar and, and, and Bobby DiBartolo would, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and then also the other thing were all the characters that would come from 
the metro, right? So you'd get the band, and and right. and, and and you'd get you know Iggy the Pop fans and all these and exactly. the fans as well as and, and it was kind of where people ended up at the end of the night, right? And it, right. And, and, and that also it wasn't. It definitely wasn't an after hours place in the sense that we sometimes wouldn't even be busy until midnight or and two. go till four or, <laughs> yeah. or, or sometimes yeah. you know, two in the morning and go to five. I mean, really, you know, we were able to broaden those hours out, but it was a late night place to be, a kind of a clubhouse, again, going back to it, the sense of community that mm-hmm. it was really important back then, guys, that we were open every single night. We were open 365 days a year. Even on Christmas, we would open. Sometimes it would just be our friends and we'd have you know, food and stuff like that. But it was, we were always open. Um, now it's different. Um, it's, it's, culture's changed. But back then, yeah, and back then, the community, we all lived up in we, this neighborhood. Yeah. We, I we lived, lived right across behind the, there. We lived across the street. I lived four blocks and, away. And Mark you know? lived in Medusa, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was also the interesting relationship between Medusa, which was, for the people who don't know, was an underage juice bar until... But until some period of time of the day, and then it, it turned into and and I remember people would like I, I remember Medusa used to like adopt these kids who had run away from home, and and there was this really interesting community of people who were just and that's why I dropped out of college was I saw all these people who were so supportive and so different, and you had the goths and the skinheads and the and they're all hanging out helping each other, and I learned so much more about how communities and people support each other here and, 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 uh, and um, uh, you know, it, it was just... It, the, di- the diversity that you're referring to was unique to this neighborhood um, and, and sort of Chicago as, as a whole because it was really quite a melting pot of yes. because we're so close to Boys Town, because we were so close to, like, you know, Belmont, a, a, a very busy sort of urban area. Remember, this is before my beloved Cubs won the World Series. Um, <laughs> this has been the Cubs probably only had like 10,000, 12,000 people going to games. It was a very, it was a very different Wrigleyville. They, they I don't even, went to the bars. The, yeah. They still went to the bars. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't think they looked at it as Wrigleyville as no. much as they do now. It was just like, uh, oh, yeah, you, you, uh, you know, that's right. It just happens to be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, now, nowadays it's, 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 it's Wrigleyville, <laughs> but maybe it was like more like Lakeview back then or something. I don't know. I think that this is, first, Lakeview is like one of the city's most densely populated areas. Yeah. But I think that the reason that this place is such a magnet isn't the fact that it's down the street a half block from, from Wrigley. Absolutely. It's the fact that there are great bands and there has been great music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I do think that there's a foundation to this. You know, Joe, when I think of you playing records, I think about hearing James Brown. I think about yep. hearing, mm-hmm. you know, Bootsy, Funkadelic, things mm-hmm. like that. And, and everything kind of just f- bubbled up from good vibes that appeal to everyone. Do you remember the Bootsy impersonator? I met him. I do. I've got his signature, in fact. He pulled a lot and, of and, people. And, and no. Only before the internet. This could never have happened with Facebook, right? No. Right. I mean, so, so the real Bootsy comment, so, so do, do you want, anybody want to tell the story? I mean, it was... It's, 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 <laughs> if you don't mind my jumping in, there was a guy who looked exactly like Bootsy Collins, yeah. who was traveling across the USA, going to nightclubs and passing off bad checks. You know what I mean? And and making money. And he, I didn't meet him here. I met him at another place down the street. And uh, Bobby Shea, yeah. who was a DJ here sure. early on. Uh, Bobby wasn't there, but Bobby was a big Bootsy fan. And I had the, the fake Bootsy impersonator 
autograph a record for Bobby. <laughs> just, just that. I hope it was Body Slam. I th- it was Body Slam, and, and he. I asked him to write "Work Hard or Get Fired" because he got because he got body slammed. <laughs> no, I I uh, I think that uh, when you think about what what the what the soundtrack was, I mean, the community was picking up on that thread. The thread was there's this musical sort of like. You know, as they say, hodgepodge of like all sorts of different music. But I have to say that I think the staff was probably the most important part of really the community aspect. We loved each other. Right. We I mean, really it, did. It, and it was, it was a community of, of friends that I remember when it would hit four o'clock in the morning, it was really hard for me to send anybody home. It was like we sometimes would stay until six or later sometimes. We would just, our, you know, we would just, that was the time that we had to blow off steam and it was, yeah, you know, af- sort of. After you closed and then the staff started to party was actually yeah. the time that I enjoyed the most, right? And yeah. it was just this. But well, because, I mean, a long, a long shift. And actually, if you remember, Aldona, there were times where you actually had to work in Metro and then go down the smart right. So like you, right. so you'd, you'd sometimes work from, you know, seven or eight in, in the evening on a oh. Guadalcanal. No, no, no. Three thirty call. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. well, yeah, the early, the, the early shows. That's right. It's true. Yeah. So man, For you know, five, five o'clock show. Absolutely. Yeah. So so there you go. Yeah. So 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 maybe a twelve hour shift. Perhaps. And then so maybe a couple of vodkas or a couple of tequilas or a couple of whiskeys at six in the morning was certainly appropriate. And the door would be open, and sometimes a policeman would walk in. I know. <laughs> we, we, everyone loved us up here at the well, well, that, that was the other interesting thing is that, like, there's this kind of like, how would I, I have to say this in the right way, but it was kind of like a, a small town kind of corruption. Do you know what I mean? Like a friendliness, like, because the cops and the city aldermen and the drug dealers and the DJs, I mean, they all kind of knew each other. And I remember, you know, you, like the cops would sometimes call the the security people to come help with a problem or <laughs> oh. vice versa. I mean, it, it was... It, it, oh, I think that still happens. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I think that the great thing about our neighborhood is that we've always known the, the policemen, whether they were working or whether they're not working, Smart Bar was always sort of a, a, you know, a haven. You know, it was a, a place where people go and hang. I know there's one DJ, one cop that's still a DJ around town. Oh, yeah. That, right? Oh, my. I don't know who that is. It, 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 Mike Dunn. He's a cop. Mike Dunn is a policeman? I thought so. <laughs> Mike Dunn's a phenomenal DJ, so that's amazing. He's a cop. I mean, that's amazing. And, 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 so, so well, my point is, is like, yeah. you know, I mean, just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you don't like great oh, music. You know? yeah. So like, so in a way, people get, came to the, the beacon or came to, yeah. the, came to the candle that was burning bright at that time, and it was smart. And, and that was kind of also the piece that I liked about it was that, because it, it, Chicago was like a big small town and that like most of the people who came weren't tourists I guess that's the point so you're you have you're gonna keep seeing these people so you've got to treat them right you've got to give them new stuff and you're kind of all stuck in the same community I mean if you look at like at least in Tokyo at the time or even New York most of the people were were tourists so they treated staff poorly staff treated them poorly and they played music that you know they probably would know right it's interesting because in the 80s one of the things that I was really proud of was that I met a guy by the name of James Truman who worked for the face magazine and I was loved that magazine so I took an ad in the face with the danceateria in New York City we kind of shared the same page and it was really wanted to get a uh, an international crowd to come to our menu and I was always asked the doorman I'd ask Kimball like do we get any passports tonight you know and I was always excited when we said yeah there's like six English people here I go yeah okay cool you know I, I think that 
What we didn't necessarily want to see was a lot of suburban trade. I have to yeah. say that I think that we were enough of a conclave, enough away from it, and yeah. kind of in the basement, down you the alley, a little scary. The Rush Street people were not coming. But yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Rush Street had enough gravity to suck them all over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we were lucky to have like this sort of like, kind of again, underground, yeah. after hours, kind of word of mouth. I mean, you weren't coming to Wrigleyville or Lakeview for anything else but basically what we were doing or the wild hair. Sure. You know, that was, yeah, I mean, that was kind of it, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or yum yum donuts. <laughs> <laughs> what cracks me up about the whole thing, though, again, is what you said a minute ago. The, it wasn't just a matter of the staff got up and danced on the bar. They did it, <laughs> of course. But the fact that we were a family and we were, we had an extended family with the people that came in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. You know, I so... We when all took care of each like, other. When, when Jill and Barb were working behind the bar, when Aldona was behind the bar, there were people that were there, fannies in the bar stools, to be near them, to be with Absolutely. somebody like Ivona. <laughs> you know, they loved the waitresses here. Everybody knew each other, and it really was. All right. You mentioned Clubhouse. All right, yeah. I, I really think that there's yeah. a whole family right. component. Here's a question then. How many years did you work here? I worked here nearly eight years. Okay. How many years did you work here? See, so there you go. So it's at eight and a half, one of my favorite movies, by the way. But, but, <laughs> but that's part of it. So we're talking about about a decade of their young adult lives. We're behind the wood or in the DJ booth, you know? And I guess, and I, behind the wheels. And, and I think that that is, says something about that mm-hmm. generation, that we were all looking for something amongst ourselves, you we know? Found it I mean, here. You, why did you come to Smart Bar, Joey? What was it? What did, who told you? What did so, you hear? Well, so, Especially being on the south side. Well, so I, first of all, I heard about it, but what it was was Keith Robbins just saw me sitting there by myself, go. grabbed me, and took me everywhere. Took me to other clubs, walked me around, yeah. introduced me to everybody, and then suddenly I was part of the family. And then it was just this thing that you I was kind of like recruited, you know. There's, there's the proof point to what I just said, you know what I mean? Because someone like Keith, someone like Michael Hecker, you know what I mean? They were very engaging individuals. Well, they were like really, ambassadors. Exactly. I mean, they really exactly. were. They were, they, they as were. We, now we, we call them bar stars, but yeah. I mean, they were the original sort of like, sure. you know, I mean, they were out every single night of the week. It was purely joy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in New York actually once and someone said, do you know that guy over there? And I was like, I looked down there. I was there hearing David Morales and Frankie Knuckles and you were there at oh, the red right. zone. Yes, and I was like, oh my gosh. And, and you were like, oh, this, it's, it's too fancy. It's not like smart bar. The music's pretty good. I was like, I was like so flattered. I was like, oh my gosh, here I am in New York and there's a, a guy I know who's talking very nicely about our club. But yeah. it, was, it was not to sound provincial, it, mm-hmm. it was very special because it was of a moment. And, and I think, I, I guess the, the other word I would, and again, this, this starts to sound kind of cliche, but it was, but it was like authentically cool rather yeah. than kind of posy cool, right? And I think, again, I, I love New York and there's certain kind of kitsch things about New York, the campness that I love. Yeah. But here it was kind of more Midwest, like, real. Y- y- and real, yeah. right? Because we were in some VIP room and it was like, a, you, know, you know, velvet ropes and stuff like that. And we were like just so used to like smart bar, just walk behind the bar, get a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... But but so but it's you said it's different now. I mean, yeah. you, you, this, you're getting into your fourth or your, th- your end of your third decade. Mm-hmm. Um, have you changed? Like, because one of the things I like when I go back to Tokyo, sometimes everybody says, "Oh, clubs aren't fun these days anymore." And I'm like, "Is it just that I'm not getting invited to the fun clubs anymore? That there's something going on, or or do you think do you think it's it's different?" 
actually. You're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just a bunch of old, old people talking about it? <laughs> I think it's evolved. I think that it's different. I don't think that there's the same sort of um, schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned a moment ago being in different places, ads in the face, and it made me think about the first time I heard Manchester DJs here. You brought in guys from the Hacienda. Right. You know, the first time I heard things like the Charlatans, I was walk. I, I came to hear them. Stone Roses. They were in the DJ booth. I let them be. I'm walking out, and they're playing the Stone Roses. And I swear to God, I went, "What the hell is that?" Yeah, yeah. And and then hearing it four months later when it finally broke here, right. and going, "Oh my God, that was the track." Right. You know, so now you have a system where you've got. DJs who are residents or have residencies or come in and travel more than you have an individual Chicagoan who comes in and sets up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but back then you had you knew Mark was going to play on Wednesdays. You knew that I was there on Sundays. Gil on on a Friday or a Saturday True. night. We created like, like a, a menu almost, yes. you know, and, and you you knew it was going to. Um, first off, I really like that shirt, by the way. I think I really, I'm really. Well, we're twins, you and I, with, with our, with our. I won't say the brand unless they're giving us money. But yes, Lennon? right. But that's, that is very lovely. I'm, I, I'm envious of that shirt. It's very cool. You see, I, this is how it's changed, and I really think that this is the evolution of the DJ culture. Is like, for instance, tonight in Smart Bar, we have a night called Queen, and and it is it is it is really a fun night. It is. It is masterfully put together by Jason Garden and Dan uh, Pollock um, in, in, uh, on our staff. But the DJs, Michael Serafini, who runs Gramophone Records. Who's, Fantastic uh, guy. Who's been there for a couple of decades. I mean, this guy knows music. Derek Carter, who is like, comes right out of that era, that late, yeah, more like 90s. But, you know, because it was Shelter and in, in, in yeah. Smart Bar was where he was working. Um, and Garrett Shigley. So there's three DJs that are really part of something that is now really a, a, a robust and a compelling night that, in a way, you don't want to miss it. It's a good night to go out. So as I turn a ripe age, I would say that I can't go out every night, but I will pick the nights that I want to go, the, the nights that I have to be someplace. Like last night, Pat Mahoney from LCD Sound System played in Smart Bar. I was here for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't stay till, the, till close, but you, know, you, you pick and choose sure. where before we were just out just every, out every night. night. I mean, and I have to say, stay that in is because one you're 25, yeah. 30, 35 years old. It's different when you go further. Like I see you at concerts. I see you come see shows. You, there are certain shows that you're oh, not going to miss. Exactly. And I know those bands and uh, you're not going to miss them. Um, I think that may have something to do with it. Is, is there an Aldona of today at the Smart Bar, do you think? No one's Aldona. <laughs> no one's Aldona. There, 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 there used to be a guy that used to run a restaurant here in town. The, really the first real chef-driven concept. Michael Short and Michael Short and I would leave the restaurant sometimes a little pie-eyed and we'd come over and we'd walk into the room and we would stand in front of Aldona's bar and we would jump up like doing the Toyota commercial oh what a feeling Aldona and we would just clap and she would just start laughing and we would that's how we would start our night so right these were things that you know you can't replace I mean it was truly something Quite honestly, the but you staff. But still have that, a great staff. The staff, yeah. the staff in Smart Bar is terrific. There's a uh, again, there's some musicians down there. There's some DJs down there. Um, they're all really great people. Max has and been around since our days. Max is only now in uh, Metro. Okay. 
Yeah. He yeah. wants to be done early. Yeah. He's an old man. Well, he's in a band. I know. He's in Point and, and he's working the scoreboard. <laughs> he runs the scoreboard for the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. There were old men working when I was here in 89, too. I can't remember. There was a Vietnam vet doorman. Bobby. Bobby Scarpelli. Yes, Bobby Scarpelli. And Lewis. And he was here for a long time, right? I mean, there were, He was here for a long time. And, and, you know, we were talking about things like Led Zeppelin. The staff here kept you honest. I was playing Iron Man. Yeah. Every Sunday night yeah. for him to close out the night. <laughs> you know, he wanted to hear ACDC. He wanted to hear Black Sabbath. He wanted to hear bands like that just to, just to finish hard. And we did. We had the opportunity to. Yeah. I think, again, it goes back to that, 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 that not to micromanage it, but it was a great time. Things were politics, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on in the world, the discoveries we were all making as people. Um, we found each other a mm-hmm. bit in that way, and we kind of really held on to it uh, and appreciated it. So kind of linking forward, though, I mean, we're going to go through a pretty tough time in America, right? And I feel like we're going to need community and yes. culture and music. And, you know, it, and it's, it's on the Knight Foundation, which we, we have an arts program, and we did this thing, scenario planning of, like, different possible futures. And when all the, the world goes to shit um, scenarios, everybody was bummed out except for the arts team. Because if you look historically, arts tends to thrive when the world is kind of going to shit, right? So, so it feels like it's an important time maybe to sort of at least bring rebellion. the band back together and maybe help some of the kids with the way to think about things or the tools. I mean, everything's different now. You know, but There's something truly big to push against. That's for sure. Very big. And um, human rights being, I think, the number one thing here and respect yeah. for each other. I mean, I, I, I see that the club culture will always have sort of a maybe a foot forward on that um, because of the fact that it is about respect mm-hmm. and respect for each other. Um, my daughter Tara is actually in uh, Berlin tonight and uh, she's been at this kind of famous club there that runs 24 hours, like, you know, three days in a row. And there's a big Chicago contingent there. That this, and she just sent me a message saying how wonderful that experience is because, it, again, it's a community-based, you know, everyone's there for the music and... But honestly, I think that's what something we're going to be looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think that people are so much more open-minded when they come to clubs like this. You know what I mean? We're, this is not this is not Rush Street. This is not homogenized in any way, no. shape, or form. And and you know when you think about Chicago being relatively seen as a segregated city, and it's not here. Yeah. This is yeah. where th- this Everybody. is the petri dish, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Yes. Mm. Long hair, skinhead. When you mentioned skinheads, Jerry. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, look Bye. at what Jerry turned into now. I know. Well, well everybody, but what they have, Jerry but you Rogers. have a common, yeah. but, but you have a common openness, right? I mean, I, I think that was, that was like, there was like something about the people who hung out that was similar, even though they were all different on the outside. And, uh, and it, 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 it was funny because, you know, when Ivona and um, Hecker and Bobby came to Tokyo, right. they brought Smart the culture. Bar- Tokyo. Smart Bar- Tokyo. <laughs> and, and wow, was that an interesting thing. And because and, 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 even like the basic thing, like here, 
each bartender is in charge of their cash register. Mm-hmm. In Japan, they don't, tr- they didn't, tr- they don't trust. They, they have drink tickets, and there's right. a central person, you know, and and there's no sort of autonomy, right? Here, you 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 wanted people to be themselves, and so Absolutely. it was just this really interesting experiment, and 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 uh, you know, we used uh, to we used to my partner Joe Prino and I used to laugh sometimes because we used to have a a certain amount of we'd call spillage. It was just like, oh, I guess there's some spillage. You know? It was never like someone gave away too many drinks. It was just, oh, more spillage. Yeah. No Didn't someone, someone must have dropped a bottle of wow. Did You have coins. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah, well, we, we, we did track it. Oh, yes, we did track it. We were allowed with, to give away five drinks apiece. That's right. Uh, okay. And we did track it with the, with, with the coins. Um, I'm talking about the drinking that went behind, went oh. behind, behind the bar. That was the spillage. Oh. The spillage was more like into your mouth, um, but, uh, which, record, which was just fine. I never drank on the job. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I, you know, I happen to observe. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, the, the kids who make the next cool party will invite us to it. <laughs> well, you know, there's one going on in town now. There's this, these guys. They've been. They've been. Uh, there's a veteran DJ by the name of J- Justin Long. Uh, he has something called Yugo Ball, and it's a revolving uh, uh, live artist, uh, um, um, a Dadaist sort of theme. And um, you know, yeah, you're right. I think that those are the kinds of things that you'll start to see more and more of. I think that, again, what we were talking about is how people find their tribe, mm-hmm. and how they find their people. And again, I think that with the political, you know, nightmare that we're going to see mm-hmm. in this country, um, those tribes will be very well. You'll see them on the street, you know. Do you do you know the Whistler in Logan Square? I do. It's the size of this room. Yeah. And it's it they change up the design in the front so nobody knows what it is. Right. And yet people line up, and it's something different every night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a teeny tiny version of, yeah. I think, what of what was smart part back in the day. One question on that, because I remember the other thing now, now that I remember it was really different here, was you and Joe both were here all the time. And oh, you yeah. were like from the club scene and you owned the place. And this is the problem with Japan and a lot of New York, I found, was it's so expensive. So you've got an owner, and then you've got a producer, and then you've got a manager, and then they don't, they don't even hang out in the club. But here, the owners were hanging out in the club, so you could see what was going on, and you could break the rules or change the rules, and I felt like that was sort of... In certain cases, all of that. <laughs> um, but I'd imagine that some of the music that we played influenced some of the booking decisions that you made for upstairs oh, and absolutely, vice versa. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean it, that's, and that's what I'm saying, is that, again, we... we if you didn't come to work, you missed something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, we were here all the time because of just that. And we wanted I mean, to work as much as we possibly uh, could. You know, it's, it's like, I remember, like, inviting the guys from Soul Asylum and the replacements to come yeah, down behind, behind the bar. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say, go ahead, 10 bar. They'd be like, what? I'm the, yeah, go ahead, 10 bar. And they would 10 bar. Yeah. And, you know, they wouldn't ring anything up. They would just give drinks for, for a little bit. <laughs> But I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the atmosphere, again, is you know when it's a good party, when you, you know when it's fun. When you walk into some of these other clubs, you know, and quite honestly, I think the bottle service scene is, works for many people that I know, but it, it takes away from that atmosphere. I mean, you become, you want, why do you want to be more snooty? Why don't yeah, you just want to be more, you, you know? I think that that... The idea of like a whistler, or, or or even when I go to like you know some of the other clubs that I like around town, like I go to the Hideout, or I'll go to um, uh, Big Chicks. I mean, you go in and you're like, oh yeah, it's, 
So it's be fun. Mm-hmm. Or now, even when we've opened up the G-Man Tavern next door, I mean, it has that same kind of idea that mm-hmm. it's supposed to be fun. We still think that the social communication should have some kind of escapism. Um, um, I think that uh, that's a very important thing. Well, thank you, guys. Oh, and Joey, this is great. Thank you. Great. All right. See you all later. <laughs> <laughs>